Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two? Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So, join us on a real play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire Breathing Kittens podcast. Fantasy, action, mystery, friendship. Hello everyone, and welcome to Novel. This is your host, Caleb Linville. Today, I'm excited to present the commentary episode for episode 4 of When the Mountains Called by Shannon Baker. And joining me again is Mati. Hey, Caleb, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm good, and I'm excited to dive into this commentary episode. It seems like episode 4 answered quite a few of the mysteries that we've been dealing with for the last three episodes but introduces a whole bunch of new ones, of course. <laughs> but yeah. this will be fun, because we finally got some answers. We did. We did get some answers. One of the biggest being, we finally know our character's name. Not only that, but there's a new character with another name. Mm-hmm. And so we're up to three names now. We got Pearl a long time ago. Yeah. Right? And I keep on thinking of Pearl as pearl of great price for some reason you know because that's what our main character that we've been calling dude all this time our main character has been seeking his lost pearl right mm-hmm. but you tell us about the main character and what his name turns out to be well in episode three we got his initial which was a at the beginning of this episode we learned that his name is andrew the man's name was macario he said But to everyone he knew well, which was apparently everyone right after meeting them, it was just Mac. Call me Mac, Macario, Mac assured him, and you are A. It wasn't a question, but that's got to be short for something. This was a question. Andrew, he said, but then immediately wished he hadn't. He didn't know this man, however quickly he had learned his nickname. Andrew. Now, you noticed this right away, and I didn't, but it is hinted at by the writing by Shannon. But what does Andrew mean? Well, Andrew, it comes from ancient Greek, actually, and comes from the word andros. And andros is the Greek word for man, as in humanity, and mankind. And so the main character of this story turns out His name literally means mankind or humanity. You know, what's funny about that is that we've been saying all along that the more you think about it, the more you see that you could relate to. And what dude is going through seems to be representative of us all on some level. And then Mm -hmm. we find out his name is humanity. (laughs) Yeah. It just kind of cracks me up. i got to throw in there. Um, Andrew is a Bible name, so I'm going to throw out another Bible name which is Adam, Adam, which means the same thing. Yeah. So it's just kind of interesting because, you know, sometimes what's what's in a name, 
I think this episode tells us a lot about names. So who is this new character that showed up on the scenes? His name is Macario, and he he's sort of a mystery character, at least at this point in the story. Uh, but while we're on the subject of names, as Shannon mentioned in this episode, his his name means blessing. And so then you have to ask yourself the question, a blessing of what? Yeah, and it's funny because he kind of gets out of Andrew what Andrew's name is, and Andrew immediately regrets that he said his name. Mm-hmm. It's almost like that's too personal. I gave up my name. Now he knows who I am. I am humanity, right? But then he says, but I'm no Andrew. I am Macario, which means blessing. So it's almost like he's saying, I'm not a man. Yeah. Could be. Could, <laughs> could also be that he is a man who is in a different stage. Yeah, could be. Could be. And he immediately gives Andrew a nickname, which is Tacito. Yeah, which means quiet one. Quiet one. And I looked it up because I thought, oh, I'm sure that means something. Knowing Shannon, that means something. And when I looked it up, not just quiet one, it is, of course, the Spanish word for tacit, which means unknown knowledge or difficult knowledge to know. Knowledge that you can't easily put into words. It's almost like knowledge that you gain through experience and can't explain to anybody else. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of wild. It is kind of wild. So Shannon, after not sharing hardly any names with us, just dumps all of this on us. We get A, Andrew. We get Macario, which becomes Mac. We get Tacito, And Pearl is still there. Yeah. And all of these names mean something, which that just puts more credibility on my theory that Pearl is Pearl of Great Price. That's not just a lady's <laughs> name, <laughs> but who knows, right? And then the first thing that Mac and Andrew start talking about is the call of the mountains. Yeah. And, you know, that's what the whole, what the whole series is about right? When the mountain's called. So it's okay. We're finally going to get an answer to that too, maybe. And then I'm not sure we do, but we get some clues that open up some more curiosities. Yeah, we do get some clues. You got called, didn't you, friend? Can't ignore the mountains, you know? I mean, you can, but when you hear the come and see, you'd be a fool not to go. Guess we all got to learn that at some point in our lives. As for me, well, I'm no Andrew. But I'm a Macario, which means blessing. Mac says that you can't ignore the call. You can't ignore the come and see, I think is what he says. It does add to the sort of mystery of the mountains is I don't think they're just mountains. They, the way they act is somehow the deepest parts of what it means to be human, I think. Mm. And it, um, and they, when you hear their call, what, what you're hearing or feeling maybe is, is something in your, you know, your inmost parts that you have to respond to. Oh, I love what you just said. And it has, uh, probably a lot to do with this podcast, with the story that Shannon wrote, but it also has a lot to do with something I just heard this week. 
Um, it was a study of ancient religions and no particular religion. Um, but in ancient times, people always thought the gods were in the high places on the mountains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the high places were where they built altars and little shrines and temples and things to go and try to find their gods. But the mountain tops didn't only represent high places where the earth touched the sky, but they also represented gardens yeah. where where great beauty could reside. And the other, I mean, the, the paradigms and, you know, metaphors that we could come up with about this could go on for a long, long time. But when you climb a mountain, you get views of things. You begin to see things that you didn't know before. You get out of the trees to see the forest, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all of these sorts of paradigms. What you just said is even more cool because you said the mountains are about the deepest innermost part of our being. Which essentially is what paradigms are. It's what paradigms are. And I also think that maybe that's where we go to understand. So mm-hmm. in ancient times, you know, maybe people are reaching to the mountaintops for their understanding. You know, you go find the, the wise hermit on the mountain, so to speak. But what you just said, reaching deep inside to our innermost being, well, that's also where we go for understanding. So cool stuff. Again, the more we think about it, the more metaphors there are, yep. and the more Shannon's like, ah, got you again. <laughs> Shannon, you're doing great. This is really fun. We got to talk about the other thing that Mac talked to Andrew about, to Decido about, right? So the first thing was, oh, yep, you've been called. You got to answer that call. And the next thing was just a statement about Mac's daughter. So what was that about? Well, he just said, it was my daughter who died. And um, Max stresses the point, or perhaps I should say Shannon stresses the point in the way that Max says it, that it's not a big deal anymore. It was his daughter who had died, Max said again, as if Andrew had asked. But he said it in the same manner and breath in which he had told Andrew that he had chamomile tea, having not yet taken off his jacket, having not even removed his boots. It was my daughter who died. Foyer information. Necessary when inviting Andrew in. That information not always be commonplace to ask for, but expect it all the same. Like where the bathroom might be. It's like necessary information when you're going into somebody's house, like where the bathroom is. It's like it should have just been what everyone already had on their mind somehow, or everyone should should just know this. Yeah. Which I think when you contrast that to Andrew's reaction to how he's dealing with the death of Pearl, at least in my mind, it sort of, it, it gives the impression that Mac has experienced things and processed things beyond what Andrew has processed and that Andrew could very well learn a lot from Mac in terms of how to deal with his mourning. You know, we we saw earlier in previous commentaries, we started talking about how dude at the time, now Andrew, how he seemed to have died when Pearl died. Like he quit living. Mm Mm-hmm. And the whole storyline starts with how he had created routines that were known and good and normal, and 
He wasn't doing anything outside of these set patterns that he had framed for himself. It was almost like he was living like a zombie, you know, not really yeah. alive, not completely dead. But then Mac, when he just makes the simple statement that it was his daughter that died, it's like he's telling Andrew, this can be normal. Death is a part of living. Yeah. And I think I want to say that again. Death is a part of living. Mm-hmm. It's a part of the life experience. And I don't think Andrew's figured that out yet. No. And not to say that death isn't tragic. It is tragic. But when you learn to cope with the normality of the tragic, Mm -hmm. then in some sense the tragic loses some of its power over you. You know, I like to say, if you're afraid to die, you're probably afraid to live. And if you're not afraid to die then you're not afraid to live. Mm-hmm. And it's such a simple statement, but I, I think that there's something very real in that, that often the way that we view death determines an awful lot about the way that we view life. Yeah, I think I would agree. Hmm, kind of interesting. So I I didn't catch this on the first listen, but then... We listened again, and I was like, oh, that is so cool. Mac, once again, states that his daughter was the one who had died, and then he just stares at the ceiling. He doesn't have to say more. He just looks at the ceiling, and by looking away from Andrew, I think he invites Andrew to enter into the experience. Andrew waited, but Mac only stared at the ceiling, fixating his eyes on the steady lamp burning in the lantern above his head. Andrew shifted in his seat. Mac had said it so casually, without batting an eye. It was my daughter who died. Nonchalant, still cheery even, a welcome. Across the kitchen, left door. And Andrew does, for the first time, he recounts what it was like watching Pearl die in the hospital. And this is the first time in in the whole storyline that I was like, wait a minute, the setting... Could have been any time, any place almost. It mm-hmm. could have been medieval even. It's never yeah. been explored or talked about. But then for the first time, it's like Andrew snaps out of this daydream and thinks about when Pearl died and she was in a hospital with doctors. And it was all very modern and normal sounding. And I thought, well, for the first time, I'm not sure we're talking about metaphors right now. Yeah. But we start to see the inside of the story, and it's like Andrew, for the first time, faced what had actually happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, I thought that was that was kind of brilliant, because it was Mac's invitation to do so that drew him into thinking about it, and that's got to be healing. You know, when you, when you face the tragedy and say, wow, there's a memory I have been trying to avoid and and you revisit it yeah i don't think that andrew thought it was healing at least (laughs) at this moment in time he seemed almost panicky when he when he started remembering that particular memory but i think that in the long run it will probably help him out well and the story kind of alludes to that you know we get a little bit of a hint in that Andrew's thinking in in revisiting the scenario of her death was that she was in the hospital and that she really wanted to die at home and that she wanted to die quickly 
If she wasn't going to live, then she wanted to die quickly. And, but instead, the doctors had said, there's hope. Come to the hospital, there's hope. And so for the sake of hope, they went to the hospital. And instead of dying quickly, she died slowly. And instead of dying at home, she died in the sterile environment of the hospital. Mm-hmm. And isn't that interesting? Because maybe it wasn't really hope in the end, it was false hope. But how do you know in advance if something is false hope or real hope? I, I don't think you can. It's kind of the tragedy of, of being a temporal being. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know the future, right? We have to sort it out as we go. Yep. Well, I found that interesting, and I think there's going to be more along that theme. I just get a feeling that um, even Andrew searching for his lost pearl could be false hope. I don't know, but we, I kind of see the theme. And the thing that was so interesting in the last episode, you know, he said that Pearl never slept unless it was at night, because she was always living life to the fullest, so active. But then he remembered for the first time here that in the end... She slept during the day more and more and more. Yeah. And while we're on the subject of sleeping and resting, I think it's noteworthy to point out that Andrew didn't get to rest. He hasn't rested at all in this story until he had his first memory of Pearl's death. Oh, yeah, that's true. And And then he fell asleep. And then he fell asleep. And so it's like the processing through tragedy brings rest. Mm, insightful, Caleb. That's good. Um, oh, we got to point out part of the memory. It didn't just stop with her death. When they lowered Pearl into the ground, he looked away. Mm-hmm. He wasn't willing to accept it. And he would look to the mountains. Yeah. And the mountains, it says, were where... Pearl loved to climb. He'd never been, but she had. And so now the call to the mountains, is it like, well, is he just going because that's what she loved? Or is it a different reason for the call? And I think we see hints for all of the above. But for the first time, we begin to understand he was repressing the idea that she had died and kind of replacing that with another paradigm somehow. Maybe he thought she was in the mountains. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it it goes with the storyline because the mountains kept calling. Mm -hmm. While the doctors grieved their error, Andrew grieved his wife. He sleepwalked through the funeral. Sour notes of these boots were made for walking still trapped on his tongue, drowning out hymns like Blessed Assurance and How Great Thou Art. He only barely felt the comfort of the townspeople that had come, almost not registering the men's hands that squeezed his shoulder the women's cheeks that pressed to his chest when they hugged him. He didn't eat, he didn't sleep, and he didn't cry. When they placed Pearl in the backyard under her hammocking apple tree, he didn't watch. He didn't want to watch his wife move underground to a place she'd never been before. Instead, he'd stared at mountains across the valley, the ones Pearl had loved to climb, and the river that sparkled between them bright and shining, defying the darkness of the day. But then something else that was kind of interesting is it it turns out that Pearl's family had been spending Christmas with them until Pearl had died, and then 
it didn't work out so well, and little by little there were excuses why they weren't going to be there for Christmas. And then it says that the other people in the community quit visiting as well, and it be, kind of becomes clear that he had become a hermit. Yeah. I don't know if that was his choice or if that was the choice of the community that they just kind of estranged him or if it was both. But somehow he had become very alone and he had quit interacting with others, which kind of explains part of why he was so suspicious about Mac. I mean, he hadn't talked to anybody in forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite a while. So the interesting thing about Mac is that he is, as you said, the first person that Andrew has interacted with in a very long time. Simultaneously, he is also the first person who he's also the first person who has helped Andrew process through Pearl's death. I find it interesting, first of all, that throughout the story, it sounds like Pearl's death is very recent. And that Andrew is seeking her out like she had just gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got that impression. But then it's revealed to us that he'd been living without her for years alone. Yeah. Without processing. So it's a bigger indicator that he's created some sort of a, a false reality or a, a facade that he could live in somehow. For years, he's been stuck this way. So it turns out that he's been stuck not processing Pearl's death, but also just hung up on Pearl's death for many years. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that until just now, which again shows the artistry of Shannon's writing, that she could bring that kind of twist in the plot because that's significant. It's similar to how some people, when they experience childhood trauma, don't emotionally mature past a certain age. Mm. They get stuck. They get stuck. And so dude, Andrew, got stuck. And we don't know how many years he's been stuck. But Mac somehow, blessing somehow, Mm -hmm. starts to draw him into reality again. Yeah. Yep. Reality. And then the, the whole thing ends with a new twist on the call of the mountains. And that is that Mac says, one of them mountains called you, you say? then I suppose we'd better figure out which one. Yep. <laughs> so and the plot thickens. The plot thickens. <laughs> uh, this time I thought he was supposed to just go to the mountains, but now the plot thickens. It's not just go to the mountains, it's you have to find the right mountain. Yeah. So if we continue with your uh, idea that the mountain represents the place that you go in your innermost being to find truth, or... Mm-hmm resolution, Mm -hmm. or something like that, then Mac is saying, oh, we're going to have to visit a lot of places to figure this out. And isn't life like that? Yeah, it is. Figuring stuff out is, I mean, it it truly is a process. You have to try, I mean, take something as simple as learning to cope with anger. Right. And maybe that's not so simple, but in learning to cope with anger, you have to learn how to release that energy. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of different ways to do it. You can do it through listening to music, playing music, running. Um, I mean, 
splitting wood with an axe. <laughs> There's a lot yeah. of different ways that it can be done and it works differently for different people. And so this is sort of a similar thing where he has a lot of processing to do to get to the point where he can live again after the death of Pearl. And he's not sure how to do it. You know, when you were talking about anger, I just thought of there's also forgiveness mm-hmm. that's necessary. But what's interesting is that when we forgive someone, first we make the decision to do so, and then it's kind of a, a mental idea. It's a cognitive thing. We say, I forgive you, but that doesn't change the way your heart feels. Not, a, not right away. So making the commitment to forgiveness and, and saying so with somebody is always the first step. But that doesn't mean it's completely done yet. And what you just mentioned was the more visceral part of it. How do you burn off the, the, the emotion of it? Mm-hmm. And it takes some sort of action, usually, to burn it off. Some people cry. Yeah. And that burns it off, right? I've even seen people laugh, and the laughter burns it off, right? Married couples joke about makeup sex, because that burns it off. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, but I was just thinking that really there are, there are multiple levels to anything like this that's so deeply rooted. There's the decision to do something, the cognitive work that we do. You know, we say it with our mouth and commit to it, mm-hmm. but then we have to do the inner work too. And it's kind of interesting because just a few words spoken by Mac trigger for Andrew the beginning of this process. Yep, yeah. And... Yeah, I'm with you. It's fascinating. It's fascinating to me because it goes so deep. And you know what? This paradigm's not just about death, like you mentioned. Any sort of trauma can cause people to quit living, mm-hmm. right? And there are all sorts of trauma out there in the world. And uh, so as we think about the storyline, we ask ourselves, I mean, even when he got in the river a couple of episodes ago, it was about letting the river take him through his memories and actually dealing with memories. But we never got to know that he did that until Mac arrives. Matter of fact, it seems that he just fell asleep in the river. Yeah. So he wasn't (laughs) conscious of all the memory work he was supposed to be doing, but the river still took him somewhere, right? And then he had to struggle through the forest in the dark, the increasing darkness. And the forest was thick and he couldn't get through and it was a battle and a fight and... Again, it looks, it's kind of like you can't see the forest for the trees, sort of a scenario. And then Mac arrives, and in just a few words, Andrew starts actually facing his demons. Yes. I, I think that's going to be the rest of the story is how does Andrew learn to cope with his demons? And I'm actually very excited for um, the future future episodes they get i don't i won't give anything away but they get very good they're quite interesting (laughs) well you know what i found the the first episodes to have a good pace to be very contemplative um but this episode is like the pace just quickened Mm -hmm. the meter just picked up and so i think from here on out it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun to see what happens i and i don't have any clue because i don't know where this goes but I suddenly love Mac. I think he's awesome. 
Mac, Mac's a cool dude. Yeah, with just a couple <laughs> of words already, I'm like, oh, I want to know more about Mac. And I love it that he has given Andrew the new moniker, Tacito. So that'll be fun, too. Yeah. Yep. Well, thank you, Mati. It was a great conversation. I look forward to the coming episodes. Episode five will be coming out next week, next Monday. It's a, it's a really, really great one. And don't forget to subscribe to the show, follow the show, uh, leave comments. The best place to do that is novelpodcast.net. You can also do it on Apple Podcasts and a plethora of other places, I'm sure. Caleb, can you give us just a teaser about next week's episode? In next week's episode, well, there's another river. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we have another river. Is Mac still there? Mac is still there. And there's another valley. Okay, so we have, we still have Mac to learn more about. We have another river. Rivers are so deep. Uh, And we have another valley to travel through. Okay, that's beautiful. Well, I want to say thank you, Shannon, for your beautiful writing and insights. You're, uh, You're helping us all. I want to say thanks to Jonathan for all the hard work reading and beautiful job. Well done. And thank you, Caleb, for your producing and for your music. I'm enjoying it. The three of you make a great trio and keep up the great work.